Hello and welcome to Drinking Matters. In this episode, we look at contemporaries' opinions of public houses and the interactions that these institutions had with other agencies and spheres of interest. One of the sort of underlying assumptions and concerns of both the book and and this podcast series has been to approach uh, pre-modern society through uh, an important social centre. Why? Because these social centres are accommodating of particularly diverse forms of social exchange and also because they're particularly well documented. And of course, the public house is not the only such social centre in pre-modern communities. We talk also about parish churches for the religious sphere. We talk about town halls for the political sphere. We can talk about market squares for economic exchange. But within this communal infrastructure, which I think all... Um, self-respecting European towns and villages want to have in this period, the public house potentially and significantly increases its role during the early modern period. Why is that? Because there are sort of a lot of uh, larger processes affecting uh, these communal centres and some of them suffer from them, whereas others, I think, benefit from some of these developments. And while town halls and parish churches are increasingly under the close supervision of of states as well as confessional churches. The public house benefits from new uh, processes such as uh, um, more extensive long-distance travel and communication from the sort of rising consumer confidence and the rising um, range of consumer products on offer, which uh, I think helps them to... Um, relatively enhanced their role within this sort of infrastructure compared to some of the other centres which may potentially be decreasing in importance. But at the end of the day, it's still always a a combination of these centres which makes up a whole communal world rather than sort of an exclusive focus on just one or two of them. Perhaps one of the most sort of intriguing and complex relationships between different uh, pillars of communal infrastructure is the relationship between the church and the tavern because they seem to represent really opposing um, spheres of everyday life, the sort of divine and the moral and the religious on the one hand and the sort of the convivial, convivial disruptive and sort of disorderly on the other. But uh, when we look at their exchanges in more detail, I think we can say that uh, there's a lot of complementation as well as uh, tension and conflict between the two. Why is that? Well, there is a lot of competition, clearly. You compete for the same pool of customers, yeah? The clergyman would like to have people uh, in in his church and the publican would like to have um, uh, lots of guests on his premises. Uh, They are standing for for different priorities, um, cultural convivial exchange versus sort of devotion and pious observation respectively. But on the other hand, whilst there is competition, whilst there is mutual critique, there is also a lot of of synergy and a lot of sort of sin. Um, symbiosis between the two centres, that you cannot run a uh, religious life in a large parish without providing your flock with at least basic means of of having something to drink or something to eat when you've travelled a long distance to church. You cannot have mass pilgrimages, as in Bavaria, in the sort of 16th and 17th century without a network of public houses that actually allows people to get from point A to the respective shrine or pilgrimage site. 
you cannot really have a um, communion wine in the church unless you have perhaps a publican next door who can provide that sort of crucial element um, for everyday and particularly uh, ritual and consumption in in the parish church. So there are a lot of of, of uh, practical and pragmatic forms of exchange, and also perhaps social cultural exchange. We've already talked about how similar some of the rituals are in the church and in the um, public house. The sort of coming together of people, the temporary forging of social bonds, the sort of ritual consumption of um, a drink which characterizes um, both environments. We have a lot of debate in the public house about religious issues. Uh, Bob Scrittner has made us aware that in the German Reformation, oral exchange and oral debate in uh, taverns and beer houses was one of the key forms of disseminating religious information and new doctrines. And um, that sort of level of religious uh, exchange must have been welcome, particularly for the reformers who wanted to criticize some of the abuses um, and some of the failings of the existing church. Um, I suppose we were always very aware of uh, confessional differences. Uh, we talk about Protestant culture, we talk about Catholic culture, and this has informed quite a, a lot of, of scholarship on, on public houses as well. We assume that Catholic culture is more exuberant, more tolerant of occasional excess, more accommodating of festivities such as uh, saints' days and, and church dedication days. We assume that Protestant environments are naturally more ascetic, uh, more uh, intent on enforcing moral and social discipline are less accommodating of, of forms of popular culture that used to predominate in the medieval period. But in line with more general research on the period, these differences between Catholic and, and Protestant are starting to not disappear, of course, but certainly become perhaps less dramatic because we find similar efforts at greater social discipline, at greater uh, controlled by the respective churches in both Catholic and uh, Reformed environments. Uh, bishops as well as uh, consistories are very worried about uh, excessive drinking, are uh, very uh, fearful of incurring the wrath of God because of uh, immoral or um, uh, dissolute uh, behavior. Both of them want to create a flock of um, believers who know what the doctrines are, who know how to behave in public and who portray a positive image of the church towards the outside world. So whilst we have uh, obvious differences between confessional environments such as fasting rules which are only really um, compulsory in Catholic environments where we have a much more intensive sort of uh, seasonal uh, rhythm of, of festivities, we, we also find them uh, converging in many uh, similar concerns and actually some of the differences in in, in legislation and behavior seem to be more gradual or, or, um, or restricted rather than actually uh, differences in principle. There is uh, something like a reflection and public discourse on public houses in society at the time. There is uh, an awareness that this is a a phenomenon that uh, affects a lot of people and a phenomenon that has bearings in, in many different walks and uh, areas of life. And we find um, a sort of a range of voices which represents, I suppose, the plurality and the multifunctionality of these environments, which can be very, very positive 
as well as very, very critical in, it, in its overall argumentation. Of course, there are a lot of critics of public houses uh, spearheaded by people like uh, Martin Luther or preachers like Abraham a Sancta Clara in the um, Catholic environment, which point to the um, problems of excessive alcohol consumption, which say that good Christians cannot possibly lead a life of dissolution and, and continues over indulgent. But then Martin Luther himself, of course, is a character who appreciates the odd glass of wine, who likes to have a, a drink with his friends, who likes to share a joke in, 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 a, in a sort of tavern. So he himself, I think, is, is very much aware of the ambivalent um, nature of these establishments, of the fact that they can be uh, enhancing, they can be um, positively uh, inspiring as well as potentially dangerous. And he thinks a little bit of merrymaking should never be forbidden, even though the excess clearly is something that church people and authorities shouldn't possibly allow. So this sort of differentiation of contemporary discourse, I think, is striking when we really look at the sources. Yes, a lot of critique, but also attempts to be more um, balanced in, in judgments on public houses. There are poets who get major forms of inspirations from drinking, of course. If you think in particular on the English waterman John Taylor, a 17th century popular author who um, not only composes Ode to Drinking but also pens uh, a large number of travel reports based on his personal experience and finally pragmatic directories for carriers and other transport entrepreneurs. His whole world is as it were informed by the phenomenon of public houses. Encyclopedias engage with uh, the public house in, 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 a, in a lot of of detail. We have um, architects setting themselves the task of designing more appropriate, more consumer-friendly uh, premises. We have tavern societies of intellectuals, poets, and leading lawyers meeting in taverns, particularly of uh, metropolitan environments like London in the early 17th century. Michelle O'Callaghan's work there on um, the, the sons of Ben, the sort of circle of Ben Johnson's um, friends and associates in early 17th century London is an example of how taverns could be actually used to have fairly sophisticated forms of social and intellectual interaction rather than just the odd um, sort of drinking song or brawl as we may have uh, assumed in, in, in many of the previous um, studies of um, the establishments. There is a tendency, I think, uh, in scholarship more general to associate public houses with a sort of a traditional and a customary form of sociability with perhaps more uh, basic forms of, of entertainment and provision and to restrict them very much to the sort of pre-modern period in the sense that they are relatively basic, uh, relatively inflexible and therefore not very accommodating of change and social dynamics. Um, there is a lot of um, innovation associated with new forms of uh, um, sociable establishment, particularly the coffee house or the restaurant, usually perceived to 
almost revolutionize the form in which uh, people interacted in the period, whereas the tavern and the public houses seen as disorderly, dissolute, convivial public houses um, of, of this new type, that is restaurants or coffee houses, are seen to be much more congenial for a more disciplined, more individualized bourgeois culture in which uh, people can sit together in more civilized and disciplined environments where they are not disrupted by alcohol excess and brawling, where they can sort of sit down, read newspapers and magazines, where they can engage in informed forms of cultural interaction without having to fear that somebody belches or throws up or starts to engage in any form of physical confrontation. But I think once we sort of look again at how even coffee houses functions, we see there are different types of coffee houses as well, some of them catering very much for lower um, social groups, some of them not being particularly orderly in their everyday sociability, some actually serving alcohol as well as these warmer, hotter beverages, some of them perhaps uh, not being particularly exciting in the kinds of conversations that are going on. Whereas on the other hand, a lot of the associational culture of the 18th century, so this new form of people clubbing together for particular purposes to engage in charitable or uh, any forms of intellectual and um, pragmatic activities, a lot of this associational culture is actually based as Peter Clark has shown in the um, uh, premises of established public houses. And in fact, uh, 80 or 90 percent of them are meeting there rather than in the so-called modern and innovating um, coffee houses. So even when we talk about major transformations like the emergence of a political public sphere, something that has exercised sociologists and literary scholars for quite a few decades, inspired by the work of the German scholar Jürgen Habermas, who very much associated new forms of political interaction with new establishments such as um, coffee houses where rational, informed discourse was possible rather than mere um, convivial exchange. We, we find that perhaps at least some of the uh, roots and sources of uh, this political public sphere could very much be present in um, conventional public houses when we, we talked about rebellions, we talked about political and religious discussions taking place on the premises, we talked about the circulation of printed products, the, 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 the informed use of print even for advertising, we talked about the interaction of different social groups in various ways, not just uh, convivial but also sometimes religious and um, political so we should perhaps stress more the elements of gradual adaptation, gradual typological differentiation rather than seeing the advent of restaurants and coffee houses as a revolutionary break in the history of um, European sociability. We've, we've started off in, in this um, series by justifying um, the study of public houses uh, with reference to their qualities as microcosms of early modern society as places where a lot of the um, characteristics and processes of the period can be observed as it were in condensation or particular crystallization. And the same is true when we talk about um, some of the, the larger 
macroeconomic, macrohistorical developments of the period. They were obviously influenced by much larger forces and they were directed by people who had sometimes only tenuous links to public houses and they were obviously affecting society well beyond the confines of the drinking lounges of the period. But certainly they also had an interaction or an effect on the uh, inns, taverns and alehouses that we've discussed um, in a little bit more detail in this series. Why is that? Well, state building, for instance, one of the great themes of early modern history, the way in which more personal, more feudal forms of government gradually superseded by more bureaucratic, more rational, more uniform ways of government by central states. Well, this was very much based on the levying of, of financial resources and the legislation of ever more detailed um, rules on all sorts of aspects of public life. And this uh, had very direct um, links to public houses in the sense that inns and taverns were major providers of, of state finance, particularly in um, urban environments of the Holy Roman Empire, but also in some of the states like um, Bavaria. We've heard about the almost incessant wave of mandates and rules being issued on various aspects of public house sociability. So two of the key aspects, um, fiscal exploitation as well as uh, growing legislation are very directly um, apparent in the world of the tavern. If we talk about economic processes like the growth of a consumer society, then we've seen this in the ever-expanding range of drinks on offer, be it um, brandy, spirits, gin, be it hot beverages like tea and um, coffee in the 18th century. We've seen it affecting the environments of the um, sleeping uh, accommodation in ever more uh, consumer creature comfort products making their way into um, chambers and um, individualized accommodation on the premises. So. Uh, they provide illustrations for some of these macroeconomic processes, but I think they also interact with them because some of the legislation was prompted by developments and concerns about social interaction in the public house. Some of the um, larger political issues like the transformation of a political of the public sphere from a representational mode into a political mode, again, that uh, very much has its um, links uh, to the sociability in the world of the tavern where people had an opportunity to talk about current issues, had an uh, opportunity to organize dissent, had a, a relatively free environment in which they could voice their opinions and in which they could increasingly do so on the basis of informed information they got from prints, uh, travelers, visitors and other means of um, putting their conversations onto a sounder footing that may have been possible before. Dr. Kumin's book, Drinking Matters, Public Houses and Social Exchange in Early Modern Central Europe, is now available. This podcast was produced for the University of Warwick by Tom Abbott. The music was written and performed by Sean and Dylan Owen.